This past July, I had the opportunity to interview yet another one of my favorite authors, Frances Mays, about her life in Italy and her new novel, Women in Sunlight. Frances is best known for her poetry and her book, Under the Tuscan Sun, that she wrote two decades ago. She now splits her time between North Carolina and Tuscany, and I spoke with Frances over Skype shortly after she returned to Cortona. We talked about her testament to friendship and the celebration of pursuing your dreams, both of which are in her newest offering, Women in Sunlight. The story about four women and their quest in reclaiming their lives through adventure of a life in Italy. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure, Denise. Thank you. So um, I'm sure anyone who talks to you must tell some story of when they've been to Italy. And so I, if you could bear with me, I just want to tell you a little bit of mine. I was there, gosh, about almost 15 years ago with my um, then-husband, um, and then, and my our daughter, who was a toddler at the time, and we had the opportunity to spend the month in Tus- Tuscany with a group of friends. And of course, um, I visited Cortona and was reading Under the Tuscan Sun during that trip. And I'm like, oh, might I get a glimpse of Francis here in the piazza? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have not been back to Italy since. So um, I hope to get there someday. Time to come back. There you go. And I read um, your series of memoirs of when you started your journey, your adventure there, and through those subsequent years of living there. And that was such a treat because um, I felt like I was there with you and Ed. Thank you. Thank so um, you have visited, you've lived in many places on this planet, in this world. And now you're landing in two different places. You live in North Carolina and sometimes in Italy. Is that correct? Yes, we go back and forth. I think I spend a lot of my time in the air, actually. <laughs> um, it's We're almost always here in the summer and always for the olive harvest. But at other times, it just depends on what's going on. Um, but it usually ends up we're here five months out of the year in Italy, and the rest of the time in a really small town in North Carolina. Can you tell me how those different places are similar? They both have that um, warmth and generosity and sense of hospitality that I knew even as a child growing up in Georgia. When I first came to Italy, I felt so at home here, and I kept thinking, why? And it was that, the the ambience of the people, the, just the general tone of interchange and the way people are always um, ready to drop anything for a conversation. I've just found the Italians, I've been here so long now, and I've found the Italians to be all over Italy, not just in Tuscany, but consistently outgoing and warm and it is so much like the south of course the south i grew up in has changed tremendously mostly for the better and uh, so going back there living again in north carolina it's both a homecoming and it's kind of uh, a new place as well so there's that about it you know when you were deciding well eventually um, you made the decision to live part-time in Italy. Was there ever a moment where you thought, what was I thinking? 
Never. Only the night before I bought the house, I was tossing and turning and thinking, this is the craziest thing you've ever done. But once it was my house, it just seemed so natural to be here. And I've never, ever regretted it. Mm. That's nice to hear. Is it safe to say that your book, Under the Tuscan Sun, just catapulted you into international fame? (laughs) It is. I was a poet before that. I'd written five books of poetry. I taught poetry at San Francisco State for 100 years, and i that was my world. My husband's a poet, too, so we lived and breathed poetry. I wrote a textbook on poetry. But when I got to Italy, something strange happened, and I started writing longer sentences, and the lines didn't want to break, and I kept being more expansive. And before I knew it, I had, without meaning to, really, I turned into a prose writer. So I've, um, I've loved writing prose, and I always have the next project in my mind, even when I'm working on one project. Uh, and I kind of go back and forth with books between Italy and the South. I wrote a Southern memoir about four years ago, and before that I, I wrote one novel, Swan, which was based in the hometown I came from in Georgia. Do you find- And I, my next book, I, I'm hoping it's going to be set in the South as well. Do you find it's hard to um, jump between those types of writing, whether it's the poetry or prose or your cookbooks? Do you have to do some major mental shift in order to put that together? That part of the creative process just puzzles me and fascinates me because I think with different projects, you get to a different rhythm in your brain and it It somehow uh, sets you up to shift genres in that way. I I don't write poetry anymore. I still read it a lot, but I don't write it anymore. But I've tried to take what I knew about writing poetry into my other books. But something like writing a cookbook, there's a lot of inspiration behind it, but it is Mm. such a different process. It's tedious. Mm because you have to do the half teaspoon and the pinch and the, you know, just those really exact measurements, which isn't really the way I cook, and it's certainly not the way Italians cook. <laughs> so that, that, I think, is the hardest book I've done was the Tuscan Sun Cookbook. But I, know, I would not it, have thought that. I know, but it also helped me because it got all my recipes in one place and I don't have to search for them anymore is there the hardest is a novel because when you write nonfiction, which i've done so much um you write about what's happened and you make selections and you boil down things and you prioritize things and you write it as well as you can but when you're writing a novel you're inventing and it's coming out of a whole different area of your experience and things come together and become composites but then take on lives of their own and it's just a whole different experience it's uh, exhilarating I loved writing the novel that I've recently published Women in Sunlight it was so much fun to write my first novel was really hard so I'm hoping if I write a third one it'll just 
I'll just sail right through it. (laughs) (laughs) Is there one book you've been really wanting to write, but for some reason you're just not ready to do that yet? No, I I feel like um, books kind of form themselves as they come. But I have just finished a book that I had wanted to write for a long time, and that is a book about unknown places in Italy. Mm. So I have Mm. just finished that. It's in the editing process now. It's called See You in the Piazza, New Places to Discover in Italy. And for that, the reason I wanted to write it was because I got to go all over Italy and see all these amazing places that I didn't know about and um, some that I did know about but I'd never been to. But little tiny places in Puglia and in the Dolomites from top to bottom of Italy I traveled 150 days in Italy last summer on the road, not counting the time I was here at my house. So um, that was just a blissful experience. And uh, I had wanted to do that for a long, long time. It sounds like a marvelous adventure. It was. We were on trains, boats, planes, cars. My husband's great traveler. I don't think I could have done it without him. And it was also so much fun to go on this long trip together. So let's talk about your new book, Women in Sunlight. If you and I met on an elevator, let's say, or let's say in a piazza, um, how would you describe this book to me? It's a tribute to friendship, I think, a tribute to so many women I've known, particularly women who travel, and I kind of got the idea from sitting in the piazza in Cortona, my hometown here, and um, seeing women by themselves with their notebooks, writing in their notebooks, or sketching, and I know those women, I know who they are, I know what they're doing there, I've been there, and I'm always fascinated by the quest that brings somebody here not just to see everything and have fun, which is great too, but somebody who comes here maybe at a junction point in their lives that after this, something is going to be different. Mm. So Mm. I started thinking about um, that one day in the piazza, and I started thinking about women coming here, different kinds of women, and what would be their experience here. Also, as I was getting older, I was getting the message, and several of my friends were too, that it was time to downsize, um, Mm. time Mm. to clear out things, time to consider one of those active lifestyle retirement things where there are classes and gourmet meals and all that. And I kind of was seeing some of my friends moving very happily, actually, to some of these places. But it just kind of rubs me the wrong way because it seems to me as you get older, um, you don't necessarily have to get smaller and disappear, um, but to strike out and do something new and to bring back the person you might have always thought you wanted to be, but somehow life interfered to go back to that person and Uh, bring that person into the light, hence the title, Women in Sunlight. These are three different women 
maybe the elevator ride's getting too long now, but it's three different, three very different women and they have different pasts and problems and ambitions and so forth. And I wanted to see what would happen to them if they got here. So they did and they met another American woman. So it's really this journey of four women and what Italy encouraged them to do. You know, Francis, thank you for mentioning um, the topic or the um, subject of um, my interpretation. As we get older, we become more invisible. You say, you know, smaller, but more invisible. I'm a woman in my mid fifties and um, sort of entering this um, life experience of feeling um, in some cases a little diminished, but certainly looking internally of saying, you know, um, is stuff really slowing down or are there any more big adventures in my life? And um, I'm actually pursuing one. So it just really lightens my heart for you to mention that because I know a lot of women, um, friends that I know, um, are also kind of having those conversations with themselves. like. Yeah. Do I just wrap it up here and go, quote, unquote, retire? I don't like that word. What do you think of that word, retirement? No. (laughs) I I would never think of retiring. I mean, if I had a hideous job that I had plugged away at for years, I'd be over the moon to retire. But um, just to stop and retire is a whole different thing. I think if you get to that point where you have retired and it's just a perfect time to start something new, Mm. not to go hide in an anonymous place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that the um, women, uh, Julia, Camille, Susan, and I'm going to throw Kit in there. They're the four Mm -hmm. main um, uh, incredible women uh, represent a bunch of women in your life. Do any of those characters uh, represent parts of you? They do. A lot of my interests are in there because they're interested in art and cooking and gardens and travel. And those are some of my major interests. And Kit, who's the narrator of the book, is a writer. So she's a younger woman, but um, I guess most of my voice is really in her, Mm -hmm. you know, as a writer. Um, I got the idea that someone would tell the story of the three women. And so she, their neighbor in Italy, uh, became fascinated with them because she wanted to know what would happen and why they were there and what it means to live in a foreign country and what does your departure date mean if there is one. And, you know, all those questions of the, the person who leaves and takes up in a country not their own, which is a complicated, complicated act. Well, there's also another character who is not quite in the same space as these other women, Margaret, mysterious Margaret. Margaret. Where did she come from? And what is her her character's purpose in the story? She actually had a real inspiration uh, for for me. I met the writers Anne Cornelison and uh, Claire Sterling when I first came to Italy. They were older They had been in Italy since the 50s, and they were both fierce, independent writers. And I loved both of them. And um, 
Margaret is nothing like them in circumstance, but in her, you know, fierceness, she's very much like these two women. So she originated from there, but she took on her own character. And um, I just let her go with who she was, who she was becoming. The other characters, too, I became so enamored of them. I sometimes wake up in the morning and think, what are they doing down there in that mm-hmm. villa below me? Mm-hmm. The villa isn't really there, but I kind of still am imagining them going forward. And all of the characters are likable. I mean, was that intentional? Yes. I, I wanted to give them their time in the sun, and I wanted them to discover this great friendship which doesn't take the place of anything in the past, but it becomes a new kind of family. That's another thing that I have been thinking about a lot is how uh, so many people, when they get older, they're lonely. And if they just explored more options for living with other people, it, it might change things. So these women did, and it has, it's worked out well for them. One of the things in the book is they've taken the house for a year at least. So at the end, will they go? Will they stay? That was one of the things I was playing with in the uh, whole, in writing. I didn't exactly know myself until close to the end what they were going to do. I'm hoping you can read a little snippet um, of the book. It was hard for me to pick a piece. So I just went with the one that for some reason really resonated with me. And um, it starts on page 85. I want to say it is the White Wisteria chapter, White Wisteria. I'm wondering if you could read that segment um, yes. for our audience. This is This part takes place when they're still in North Carolina and the three women have just met and they are becoming friends at this point. Um, but they don't yet know right here that what's going to happen to them. They don't know they're going really to Italy. They are at a, um, one of the characters, Susan, has a beach house in North Carolina, and she's invited them there at kind of the beginning of their friendship. Blitz to wake up to the sound of waves rolling in. Julia is the first one up. When Camille and Susan wander into the kitchen in their robes around nine, she has waffle batter ready, juice poured, and a pan of bacon already made. You accomplish everything effortlessly, Camille says. I consider it a major event when Charlie brings his family over for quiche and salad for Sunday brunch, and how orderly the kitchen is. My secret weapon, clean up as you go. After breakfast and a beach walk, they drive into Wilmington, where the gracious neighborhoods invite them to stroll and make up stories about the inhabitants of the white houses, all surrounded by pink and white azaleas. They buy carnations and lavender soaps for Susan's house and stop for ice cream cones in the old town. After lunch at a waterfront cafe, Susan finds new walking shoes and Julia shows them some of Mulberry Press's publications in the bookstore. In the art section of the bookstore, Camille selects tubes of watercolor paint, six brushes and paper. I might as well paint a big cliched sunset, she jokes. 
but she's excited to think of taking the paints down to the dunes. This is the first time she's bought paints in how many years? She cannot remember. That is so representative of your writing style that I love. It's, it's, it brings me, as a reader, right into the moment as though I'm sitting there or walking around oh, the streets. Right. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Do you, I mean... Yeah, that shows that Camille, her journey once she gets to Italy is going to be to become the painter that she set out to be and ended up being a part-time art history teacher. So... Each of these women has done a version of what they wanted to do, but not the full-blown uh, ambition. But they blossom so they get, in Italy. They get to do that. <laughs> yes, that's a, a wonderful. I mean, it's so idyllic. It's a, a normal, or not normal, but a um, a real life life experience. But um, it feels somewhat magical the way you describe it. Thank you. So I want to talk about something I've learned so much um, by reading Women in Sunlight, and that is the Stendhal Syndrome. Did I say that correctly? Oh, yes. That's uh, a scene from uh, the writer Stendhal who wrote The Red and the Black, and he describes what happens when you get to, say, Florence, and you're just overcome by beauty. You can't take it anymore. You feel dizzy and you have to sit down. And so over the years, people have started calling that the Stendhal syndrome. And you do see it a lot in Italy. People just get, they can't take anymore because they've taken in so much. I was walking behind a couple in Pienza one day and I heard this man wail. He was a Southern man, so I recognized his accent. He said, I've seen all I want to see. <laughs> I knew how he felt. That was Stendhal syndrome. Have you experienced it yourself in the course of your Constantly. life of visiting? Constantly. Constantly. I was, yes, um, I was just in Milano last week, and about 4 o'clock in the afternoon I said, I've had it, I can't take you on another thing. So you just have to pause and let yourself regroup. <laughs> I was in Paris with a friend earlier this year and had um, – Many of those experiences um, when I was there, it was uh, uh, pretty amazing. Um, and uh, it's also kind of like having these mindful moments of um, being fully in the experience and letting all that beauty in. Um, so uh, I, I, I learned something. So thank you very much. I hope to have many more of those kinds of experiences. You, you too. <laughs> <laughs> so the image on the book um, is a woman jumping into a body of water. Um, I'm, yes. I'm suspecting that was intentional. Yes, there's my one of my favorite parts to write in the book was when Julia, who has had the most trouble past, uh, is at Cinque Terre, and she sees people jumping into the clear, beautiful water from this cliff. And she's alone there. The others are doing something else. And she finds herself walking up to this cliff. And she's not about to go because it is so far down there. But then she gets right to the edge. And one of the young boys behind her shouts out, Vai, vai, go, go. And she suddenly looks down and she jumps. Mm. 
And then she goes home and she tells the her other friends about it. But it was one of those moments for her, which was a breakthrough, where the past that had held her back or she had experienced difficulties in, it was some kind of a metaphorical transformation for her to take the leap, so to speak, and fall down into this gorgeous clear water. It's, so that was really, that was a wonderful thing to write because um, I've done that myself and it was really scary, but um, I wanted her to experience it too. Taking the leap into the unknown, <laughs> being scared out of your wits, but luckily and maybe typically yes. just being yes. so pleasantly surprised with the outcome. Yes. In the movie Under the Tuscan Sun, the screenwriter had a line. It wasn't my line, but I really liked it. She said, life gives you a thousand chances. You just have to take one. And I thought, mm, I don't know about that. But I realized that it is so much of life is chance. Any little decision you would have made to do something different would make you into a wholly different person. So I'm so aware of that you know, the chance aspect and taking the chance. If you don't, this is what happens. If you do this, you know, you're on a whole different path. So I think taking chances is scary, but I once did it when I bought this house. Um, it was a chance for me. Now you hear about people renting villas all over the place or buying them in all kinds of countries. But at that time, this was in 1990, I didn't know anybody who had ever done that. And I plunked down my life savings to take this crazy chance. And I think because it worked out so well, it has given me all the time since more of a uh, willingness to take chances. And um, so, I, you know, taking a chance often opens new places for you to move into looking for the next largest space. Well, that's a perfect um, way to segue into my final question for you. Um, my reading your book, Women in Sunlight, came at this perfect time in my own life because I touched on it a little bit earlier in our conversation. I'm actually leaping into my own big adventure. Um, I've lived in Oregon for about two decades now, um, and now I'm moving back to the East Coast to Rhode oh. Island. It's like mind-blowing, um, and I don't know really anyone there, um, uh, but everything seems to be rolling out the way it needs to to say, you know what, Denise, you're making a, a good choice. I'm here to support you. Um, Looking forward for yourself, Francis, what do you see as your next big adventure? Well, my next book is always my next adventure, and I'm writing a book with another travel writer, Ondine Cohen, called The Best of Italy, and it's we're writing it for National Geographic. So those, that's my next adventure. But beyond that, I want to go to India I want to go back to Turkey. I haven't been in several years. And um, I have several remodeling projects in my future, near future. And um, 
that's about it, I guess. I'd probably come up with some other wild ideas pretty soon. Francis, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Denise. It was such a pleasure talking to you. That was best-selling writer Frances Mays talking about her new book, Women in Sunlight. You can learn more about Frances and all of her books by visiting www.francismaysbooks.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.